This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Dave and I always say there are two mountains to climb when you're writing a book. The first mountain is steep. That's the actual writing of the book. But the second mountain might be steeper, and that is promoting the book. Even if your book is picked up by a traditional publisher, you'll carry the bulk of promotion. Today, to help you wrap your mind around all the promoting your book entails, we are interviewing Andrea Martin, who is a director of author relations at Tyndale Publishers. Andrea is responsible for helping authors throughout the publishing process. She supports and encourages writers as they work to promote their book, build their platform, and land speaking engagements. She knows the hard work of promoting the book and is here to share with you the advice she offers the authors with whom she works. Welcome, Andrea, to our podcast. This is going to be a fantastic episode. We're so happy to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. All right, Dave, let's kick off this episode before we tackle the questions that we have here for Andrea with where we've made progress and you go first. <laughs> so this is a fun one. So yesterday I drove to Madison, got up really early, had an like an 8.30 to 12.30 meeting with someone who was uh, actually has been a client of CZ Strategy, the agency that we have. So I spent basically three and a half, four hours with him at his house. And then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm in Madison. I may as well go west and fish the Blue River in the afternoon and then drive home. So I'm, actually, I'm going farther west. So I, so I, I included my, fi my fly fishing gear. So I, I, <laughs> and it was warm out. I thought, uh, no, it wasn't. Actually, it was only about 75. Actually, that's why I went, because I thought, it's kind of cool. It's not like 85. So why don't I go? So I, I drove out west to Montfort, Montfort, Wisconsin, and fished for three hours. First hour, I caught, I had a couple strikes. Second hour, I caught about 25 fish. It was the best day I've ever had on the Driftless. It was like wow. almost every cast. I fished that river maybe 30 times. And I, it's one of those rivers that just beats me up. I'll come away with one fish, two fish. I've, I had one winter day, I caught seven fish on a streamer and, but I've never done well. I just have never done that well. How do you feel after a day like that? And I'm curious, is it a seasonal thing? Why there were so many fish or were you just fishing better than you usually do? Did you change your strategy? And It's very, very complex. I think at the outset, you do not know how a river is going to fish on any given day. There's just a multitude of factors. I think, one, I figured out what they were hitting on, but I've done that before, I think, and, and still only caught one or two. I think what happened was the temperature drop that you're feeling today, that's a low, and they were hungry. For some reason, I think that that temperature drop uh, and that barometric pressure can affect fishing. Like they start to feed. And they, I'm seriously, I left at about 5.15. I looked at my watch and I had texted my friend and I said, if I'm not off the river, because I'm fishing alone, right? And I said, if I'm not off the river by 
5.30, call the EMTs and come and get me because something has happened. <laughs> so where I was fishing, I didn't have, I couldn't, uh, I had no cell coverage. So it was 5.15 and I was about a mile down the river, mile and a half. And I thought, oh, oh, I got to get back to the car and get up on the top of the bluff or else the EMTs are going to come. So I had to quit, but it was so amazing. Okay, enough of me, but man, it was amazing. All right, Melissa, how about you? What are you, uh, where have you made progress? My progress is related to the progress you shared last week, which has to do with landscaping. Last week, you shared how you really don't like yard work. And I really don't like yard work either. And our yard was a disaster. We hadn't really done any spring grooming. And so my husband and I spent the weekend, actually Saturday afternoon, not the weekend. I'm, I'm inflating that. We spent about five hours on Saturday cleaning up the yard and it was so hot. It was actually, it's probably in the eighties, but the humidity was so intense and I was just dripping with sweat, but we got it cleaned up. And last night, my reward was going to the flower shop and getting some perennials to put in the garden. So it's not, it's not huge success, but considering I hate gardening, it was success. How about you, Andrea? Did you make any progress this week that you want to share? Sure. Yes. I have a 17-month-old golden retriever puppy. He's a COVID baby. We got him the day of lockdown. So he's really spoiled because we're home all the time and we've been training him, but not consistently. We have not done a good job as we have with our other dogs in the past. So a friend of mine signed her puppy up for a class and I decided that it would be a good idea for Finn and I to join. So we started last week and last night was our was our second class and he's made some progress and we've been working with him at home trying to anyways and so he's making a little progress so that makes me feel better about where we are with having him being trained he's a big dog he's like 75 pounds so he really needs to be trained <laughs> i would say there's nothing better than having a trained dog <laughs> that's that's great what do they do in the training sessions so last night we worked on stay and come. He knows these words, but he just, he only does them when he wants to. He's like a teenager right now. So he listens when he wants and when he doesn't. And I really need him to listen all the time. <laughs> so, so we worked on stay and come and leave it. That's a big one too. Cause we always, he always seems to find the dead animals on our walks. So that's an important one. <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to just dig into some of these questions that we have for you. Sure. You are going to provide so much insight for writers who are just really perplexed about the promotion of their book. So let's start out first by having you tell our audience what it is you actually do at Tyndale Publishers. How do you help authors? I've been in this role for about three years, I'm going on. And so my whole job is just to make sure that our authors have a great experience from beginning to end. And just that I help them and make it easy and make it fun. And I'm their go-to person. They have an acquisitions director, they'll have a marketing and a PR person. They have other people they can go to, but if for some reason they can't get in touch with someone or they just have a question, they don't know who to ask, they can come to me. That's like my main job. And then I also, because I have a marketing and um, PR background, I really enjoy helping our authors working on marketing plans and PR plans and any questions they have there. So especially once their book has launched and their marketing team has moved on to the next book, I can pick up where they left off and help 
keep promoting the book um, with the author as, as time goes on. So those are kind of my main role. I also do actually one other thing is um, that has become a main part of my job is doing social media audits. So not all the authors have big platforms. So I help them build their platform before their book comes out along with our marketing and PR teams. And that's become really an important part. So when an author comes to you, what is the primary emotion or what, what are some common questions that they have when they come to you? A lot of times they'll come asking about social media. For a lot of them, it's new. Some have platforms already, but for people who maybe have a memoir or the, you know, they're a first time author, they have a lot of questions about how to get started. Um, or maybe they've already started, but they wanna, they wanna build their audience so that by the time their book comes out a year later, usually we're working about a year out, that they have a more robust audience to launch the book to. When they get, when they're stuck, where, where are they mostly stuck at? So if you have an author that maybe has a, a social media presence, presence or a platform and they want to take it to that next level, what aren't they doing or where are they stuck? And what, what are your, what is your advice to them? This year, especially that has come up a lot. We've had a lot of authors it was really hard to watch because you see them working so hard all throughout the year and then the pandemic hit. So people who were supposed to have a book launch party at the end of March or the beginning of April and those were all canceled. So what do I do? How do we get the word out? And so our team, um, our marketing team and PR teams and me, we came around and around the author and just would try to brainstorm new ways. We did a lot of Facebook Live events in lieu of having a, a actual launch party. We did them online. And I think ultimately they ended up getting more people watching that than they would have. If you have a venue that can hold 100 people, that's great. But then once it's on Facebook Live, sky's the limit. You can have as many people as you want. So the pandemic threw a wrench in a lot of people's plans. And there's things that we're doing now, like a Facebook Live or a Zoom type of launch party. Um, that I think we'll continue to do. They'll still have your live event, but I think there'll be a, an online component as well for those people who aren't in the area or who couldn't attend an event. There's a lot of things that we've learned. Now, is that something that you host on the Publishing House's platform or are the Facebook Live or the Zoom calls, do the authors host those? It's both. It's a little bit of both. We have a, a webcast platform where we can do a webinar. Um, we just recently did one for two fiction authors, and that was all run through our Tyndale team. But a lot of these Facebook Live events or Instagram Live events have all been on the author's platform, and they've done those themselves. And in some cases, we've helped them through that, coached them through it because they had never done it before. Now we're all experts in this technology, it seems like, or becoming experts since it's, we've kind of been forced in that direction. But in the beginning, not many people you knew how to use that technology. So we did our best to try to support them through that. What does the content look like for those webinars? You say author webinars, like what, what does the content entail? Sometimes it is around a topic. So we have an author, he's a fiction writer, um, but he's also, he lives in Israel and he's an expert on Israel and he also is very well connected. He has a lot of contacts in the CIA and the Mossad and all these different different agencies around the world. 
And so he's a lot of times is brought in, he'll be brought in on CNN or Fox News as an expert. And lately he's been brought in to talk about the conflict that's been happening there. But so we just did a, a webinar where he's talking about what he's seeing. We had somebody um, interviewing him. In other cases, it's a, a book launch party. So an author will set that up and maybe like one person recently had different guests come on and she didn't know, she had someone else help her. And so she didn't know all the people that were coming on from her past. And it was kind of fun because she um, grew up, she was in a, a famous singing group. And so there were a lot of people that came in from her past kind of celebrities and things. And, and so that made it really fun for people to watch. And she, she and a couple of people from her team are the ones that organized that. And then we just helped promoted it through our channels at Tyndale. So what makes a great Facebook live or Instagram live launch party? What are the components that make it really sticky and fun and something that people would actually show up for? I think that one I was just talking about because you knew there were going to be, knowing her background, you knew there were going to be some fun guests that were coming on to be with her. A lot of people will do giveaways. I think high energy and not having it be too long. Try to keep it short and sweet. Talk about your book. I know another person that did one recently, there was a recipe in the book. So she did kind of like a little cooking segment that was very fun and high energy and people were popping in and out of her Facebook Live um, and she was talking to them. And I think the whole thing for her was about a half hour, which to me seems like a good amount of time, depending on who you're having. The other person who was the former singer, that one went for about an hour, but it was so fun and there was so much going on. Um, and she had a question that she asked each person and um, a question from the book. So there was a lot of continuity there that brought it all together and made it really interesting. Right. So these things need to be thought out, right? The, the yes. live events need to be thought out and even not drawn out. Like you said, I've done a couple of live events on Instagram and there's nothing worse when it just drags on and on. And you can see your, your viewers just tapering off ever so slowly. Right. So it's really important to keep it engaging throughout the entire duration of the live event. And I think you're right. Brevity is better than <laughs> it being too long. Well, I think it's important to watch, like if you're wanting to do an Instagram live, look up and watch what other people are doing and, and find out what you like and what you think is working and what gets your attention. And then do that when you, you know, gives you an idea of what you should be doing. Same with Facebook live and, you know, webinar, attend some webinars. There's so many out there that are free and see what you like and, and what kind of holds your attention. I would absolutely agree with that. Of the few Instagram lives that I've done, I would say that the ones that have been most successful have been interactive. So it's not just one person talking at the screen, which can be really boring, but it's really dynamic to people. Um, we actually did an activity, so it was a little bit more engaging. So I think you're right. Um, really think through what grabs your attention and what engages you. It's kind of like writing a book. You want to keep the audience <laughs> tapped into what you're saying. So you got to think through it. How are you going to keep them engaged? Yep. And it's visual. So you want visuals, things that are fun. I know some people did um, like confetti cannons, like that's fun to watch or things that are going to get your attention on screen too. You got to think about it from all different angles. Andrea, so often when we use the word platform, we, we use it synonymously with social media, but there's a, there's a lot of other platform other than just social media. 
So when you have writers who have a platform outside of social media, yes, we know that's important. What is it? And I'm not talking about your rock stars. I'm not talking about, you know, your celebrity authors. I, I'd like, I'm interested in your middle level authors when they have like platforms outside of social media, what are they? And, and, and how do they leverage those during a launch? So a lot of times it's speaking. We have a lot of authors who have different work on different speaking circuits um, and go to different conferences. Um, it'll also be like their website and a blog. Some people love to blog, other people don't. So I think the biggest thing is just having consistency on your platform, whatever those things are that you're doing, whether it's like the speaking engagements or setting up some book signings in different stores, working with different bookstores to build your audience. That way you can have an email list and you can start building your email list and you're building people that are following you and that you can go directly to when your book comes out or when you have something you want to share. Andrea, I know you had a wild job, right? Was it during college and then right after college? Tell us yes. about who that was and what was that like? Sure. Yeah, so this is my first PR job. When I was in, I was a junior in college, I got an internship at the Jerry Springer Show. And I was an intern in the audience and we were building the show he was brand new. He had been the mayor of Cincinnati and he was also on the news. And then he would fly into Chicago and do the show. And then when I graduated from college, I was hired as a publicist. So I traveled with him and really helped to build his brand and his name out there. And I worked there for three years um, until the, the show really changed and things got really different. And then it was just time to, to move on, but it was a great experience. You have to tell us one wild experience, like not wild, like wild and wild, but just like, what would be something we would go, oh, wow, that had to be hard. Any, anything that you can say on, <laughs> that you can say publicly. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Some I could probably say on the show, some I probably can't, but we had, it was one of the very first shows where we had people end up fighting and it was because it was a girl and then there were her three, there were three um, men up on the stage with her. She was pregnant and she didn't know who the dad was. Hmm. So we did the paternity test and we were having the big reveal that day. So we flew all these people in. I can't remember where they were from, but um, a very small town, Southern town, I believe. And they all came in and then the woman got cold feet. She didn't want to come on. So she took off, she left the studio and it was up to me and the producer to go find her in the city of Chicago. <laughs> we were set tasked with going to find her. And I can't believe we did, you know, we kind of just based on things she had asked about, she was really interested in water tower um, before they came because they wanted to know kind of like, well, where do they get to eat? Where do they get to stay? Things like that. And so we ended up at water tower and the producer I was working with found her going up the escalator and she was coming down the escalator and so we had to talk her into getting, coming back and doing the show. Cause we had, I mean, we had an audience waiting. There are people there. It was crazy. And we ended up doing it. And I, her show was one of the first where people started fighting. These guys all started fighting on the stage. <laughs> wow. So that wasn't scripted. The fighting wasn't scripted. No, when I was there, 
I never heard, and I was always backstage because I was in PR. I was helping people in and out, and I used to write different things for the show, the bumpers in and out, and um, so I was always in the back with the the person with the teleprompter, and we were always in that back little corner, and that's where all the guests would come in, and nobody ever told them, but these were, they would, you're coming out like all these guys are waiting to see who the dad is, and so it just would get heated, and Nobody ever told him to fight. It just all, it just happened. <laughs> so it was so, crazy. crazy. So was there one guy that was the, the actual father? I mean, I could imagine they all take the test and it's somebody, it's a fourth guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. No, well, I can tell you, I remember the guy who was the dad wasn't her boyfriend. Oh. That's when Hence the fighting. <laughs> right. Hence yeah. the fighting. Yep. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm sure it, it, for those of you who don't know Jerry Springer, just uh, Google Jerry Springer. Some of you might be uh, too young to know who Jerry Springer was, but so Google Jerry Springer. I want to circle back, 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 back to this idea that you also support and encourage writers post launch. So we always say, there's multiple phases to promoting your book, right? There's one leading up. There's really at least three phases, which is one building your platform up until the launch of the book. There's the launch of the book, right? So you have this window in which the book is new forever long. That is with death by suburb. I think it was like six weeks or eight weeks, something like that. And at that point, I got a ton of articles, Denver post, Orlando Sentinel, um, I think the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, all those. But then all of a sudden, it all dies down. How do you support and encourage authors for this kind of third phase, which is the long slog? What do you do? Well, I really encourage them not to give up. There's so many books that come out of the gate, and they might not have a lot of articles, or they might not have a, a lot of media attached to it for various reasons, like at the start of the pandemic. That's everybody. That's all everybody was talking about. Or right around the election, it was really hard to launch any books around that. We purposely didn't do very many because of that. But there's just certain times where it's just hard, or things come up that you're not planning on, and your book gets pushed. And sometimes, and that's okay. I, I just encourage people not to get discouraged because a lot of times books don't come out of the gate blazing. It takes they might take a year or even two years before they really catch on or something might happen in the news that's a really good hook for your book that you can attach it to. So for a lot of authors, and even if you do get a lot of media at first, like you're saying, you have a lot of attention, people are talking about the book, and then it kind of dies down. It's good to have a plan in place to just think through, okay, maybe I'm going to start blogging once a month and, and pull that pull out different topics or you know maybe I'm just going to create a booklet from my book that I can give away on my website as another reason to talk about the book just you're finding different ways and paying attention to what's happening in the media for instance we had a book it came out in 2019 it was called hit hard and it was about a boy uh, a family and the boy was a high school football player and he got injured a, a traumatic brain injury and he survived, but his life will never be the same. His family's life will never be the same. And that book, it did get some attention when it came out in 2019, but 
the authors have been paying attention. Um, the underlying message in that book is ambiguous loss. And you know, they, they felt like they lost their son. Their son is still here and alive, but they lost him in one sense because he can't communicate and you know he's um, handicapped now. And so with the pandemic, a lot of people are experiencing ambiguous loss. We had some conversations and then they ended up going and hiring a PR firm on their own. And they've booked um, a number of things during the pandemic being able to talk and bring um, attention back to their book that came out over a year ago, almost two years ago now. So things like that, if, if you're paying attention to what's happening around you, you can find ways um, to bring it back in. And also just finding ways to talk about it in social media that makes sense, tying it to different top things that are happening. When does it make sense to hire an external PR company like um, this one author did? Because it seems like there is value in it. You, what would you say to authors if they ask, should I hire a PR firm to help me with this kind of second or third phase of promotion or even the first phase? I don't always recommend it because I think sometimes some places can tend to overpromise things. Um, and if a message has already been out, you know, within the last year, a lot of times, at least when I was on our PR team here, we couldn't go back and promote it. It was kind of old news. They wouldn't listen and it wasn't worth the pitch because it had already been out there. Now with this, they were coming at, with this book hit hard, they were coming at it from another angle. So that really made sense. I would just say really do your homework, whatever agency you're using to make sure that they have the connections that they say they have and that you have a really solid angle that can be pitched that, that the timing is right. So with PR, it really is about connection so that when they pitch someone, they actually have a relationship with that podcast person or, you know, Forbes online or, or whatever it is. Is that correct? Yes. Have you ever seen an author do it himself or herself in terms of media relations where they've actually scaled the mountain and they've gotten on podcasts, they've done the hard work themselves? Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah, we have definitely had authors that do that. We have a really great team here that will help. But once the once the book is out, you know, we're past that three months post-launch window, our team is moving on to a new set of books. And so a lot of times people will take it upon themselves to keep working that. And some people, if they have that in their background, have a marketing or PR background, that's easy for them to do. Other people, it's not as easy or they feel kind of weird calling someplace on their own behalf. Some people aren't comfortable with that. And so that's when they usually end up hiring someone to help them. If you're writing a pitch to somebody to try to get on a podcast, get on a radio show, get in a magazine, what should you include in that pitch from a PR perspective? You have great PR background. If you're saying to, saying to somebody who wants to do it on their own, this is what you include in a pitch, what would it be? Well, I would say keep it short. Go with the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> keep it really short and concise. And you wanna hit on hooks that are important to people right now. I'll just use the hit hard example again with ambiguous loss. A lot of people are feeling that loss right now. And so they looked for ways, things that were happening that they could connect their book to and connect talking about ambiguous loss too. So I would say finding that hook is super important and just being really brief in that we call it like an elevator pitch. 
And so that's something that your publisher could help you with. And they might even have it. It's something that you could use um, and tweak going forward, you know, post-launch. How persistent is too persistent? Meaning you send one letter, one pitch, how often should you follow up? And when do you just become kind of a nagging person? <laughs> That's a really good point because you don't want to, you, you kind of want to be the squeaky wheel, but you don't want to be the really obnoxious high pitched squeaky wheel because they just won't even listen to you. And that's where, that's where having a PR team or hiring a firm because they have those relationships is so important. If you're going into it completely new, you don't have that relationship yet. And so you don't really know what that person's tolerance level is. I kind of knew in PR, when I was in PR, the different people that I was working with, I, kind, I knew I could ask this person like three times or I could come back maybe a month later with a slightly different angle and it would be okay. Whereas there was other producers, I pitched it once and if I didn't hear back, I knew, I knew that I knew that they would open it from me and I knew they didn't want it if they didn't get back to me right away. So if you don't know that, it's hard to say. I mean, I would say asking a couple times, going in and then maybe refining your, your pitch even a little bit more, and then maybe a third time. And if you don't hear anything, then I would back off. Unless you just felt like it was a really, if it was a super strong angle and you felt like maybe they weren't seeing you because they don't know you and they don't recognize your name in their email box. Maybe you try a different top, a different tactic instead of emailing, maybe mail them something, or maybe, you know, you get in their social media page and DM them or something like that. You look for different ways to contact them. That's great advice. There's so many ways to promote your book. I mean, you talked about social media and doing live events, there are podcasts, you can try to be a contributing writer to um, like a magazine or another digital publication and get on a radio show or even TV, where do you find that authors have the most bang for their buck? Meaning, I think we all think that like being on a TV show, people would buy more books, but where do you think that the publicity really pays off most? Is it in the small activities or is it in the big splashy activities or is it a combination of all of them? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's kind of like a moving target. It's changing and it depends on your genre that you're writing in, who your audience is. I mean, it used to be, it's always changing. You know, if you got on this show, this morning show, then you would see the needle bump, but we don't see that as much. It's really hit or miss. You don't know now if that's going to move the needle or not. It is easier to see with social media. We're seeing more things do, that are happening like on Instagram might push the needle more because you can get into that niche audience. You can find your people a little easier and you know, whereas if you're just doing a major TV show, which those are still really great to get, but you, you don't always necessarily know, did they buy your book because they saw you on that show or did they buy it because they saw an Amazon ad um, or they saw a Google ad? It, it's really, if, if you're going through like an Amazon ad or Google, something on social media, you can measure it definitely easier. And that's where we're seeing. I know on social media, there's this viral effect because of um, stories and also just the multiple ways that you can post content on Instagram. And so people hear about a book and there's the author 
has a campaign like post my book. And so people post it on their stories and then they're, they're tapping into a whole other kind of sub tribe of their primary tribe. So there's kind of this viral nature of social media. I think that works really well with publishing a book and promoting it. Sure. I think that's another tactic that I've seen work well is when either just two or three, or it can really be as many as you want, but when these authors get together and help promote each other. So you'll see where we just did, one of our authors did a promotion. She partnered with two other authors and they were each giving away a different package and all their books, they, they had a similar thread that woke through them. They were all different, but that was a really great promotion because they each got each other's audience. It wasn't just you know, the author from Tyndale and her audience, she was able to tap into these other two audiences as well. And she's noticed a big bump in her traffic from having done that promotion with them. Same thing with like a podcast. If you're just starting, if you're launching a book, if you can get on a podcast um, of somebody, maybe they have, you know, like 60,000 subscribers, all those people are going to get to know you. And, you know, they're going to promote to their audience that you're going to be on the show and suddenly you've got this whole new group watching you. So being strategic and picking the shows, like whether it's a podcast or an Instagram or a Facebook, just being strategic and knowing what those other audiences are is helpful in trying to decide, you know, you only have a certain amount of time. So do I want to spend time on this, this little small thing over here or do I want to go over here where this person has a big audience and can help promote me I think a mixture of both is great I'm friends with somebody on Instagram he wrote a decorating book with um, I'm trying to remember it's a big publishing house out in New York City and they did an initial kind of blitz right when the book came out but it's been probably about eight months and he just went on a book tour of his own and hit all these different antique shops because he's an antique dealer and it's about decorating oh. like antiques. And so he did his own book tour. He set that up himself and he had fellow antique dealers, store owners host little parties for him. And I think it was really successful. So I do think you have to have this long game in mind when you're promoting a book. Yes, for sure. For sure. You're not over once it launches. I think a lot of people too, like you're there's all this buildup and all this work that goes into it before. And sometimes people, it's good to take a breath and celebrate and enjoy that the book is launched, but don't just stop, keep going, keep promoting, keep thinking. It doesn't have to be intense as that launch period time, but you just wanna keep the book in, in front of people as much as possible and where it makes sense. You use the word hook. I can imagine someone listening to this and go, I have no idea what you mean by what is a hook like for a PR pitch? How would you describe a hook and, and why does that work? So a PR hook, I'm trying to think of an example. You want to connect it to something current that is happening right now. So if, if my book happens to talk about, could be about Israel and being able to tie it into that, the conflict that's happening right now and to myself as an expert and show that I can be an expert on that topic, that would be a hook to get you for someone to say like, oh, we have an author right now who wrote a book. His, his uh, family was actually part of Hamas and people are contacting us right now because of everything that's happening in Israel, wanting to talk to him. So if we were going to go out and promote him. We could use that as a hook. What, what's it like to be a part of Hamas? 
you have to tie your book into into something that's happening in the culture that's mm-hmm. kind that's newsworthy. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Exactly. And that is yes. that's a hook, right? And so that becomes okay. the the headline for your media relations piece and whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, and your your hook needs to match the media that you're going after too. So a hook for the Today Show might be different than a hook for People Magazine versus another trade magazine. You have to look at that audience as well and think about them as you're writing it. Just in closing, I would love for you to provide some inspiration for authors. One of the questions I asked you prior to this interview was, when do authors feel most disappointed or defeated in the um, area of promoting their book? And how do you coach them through that? What would you say to them when they're in that moment of just feeling really defeated, like they can't go on and keep on promoting their book? That's a, a lot of my job. I do talk to authors in that moment and just I just listen to them and I try to encourage them to just not give up. That there's always something that we can try. And that's when I would brainstorm with them, you know, maybe there's an, another hook here that we could look at and go after. Maybe there is another tactic, you know, when you're working with social media, if you're doing a Facebook ad or a Google ad, the great thing about that is you can test them and you can see in real time what people are responding to. So sometimes we can go back and and tweak what we're working on to see if that's going to work. It's just trying to figure out and be creative and, and look at, try to look at things in a new way. And so for me, that's what I'm helping, trying to help them do. And, And if you're an author, Maybe your, your time with your publisher has ended and you can't go back to them. Find someone else that you can trust or and talk to about it who maybe is also an author or find a podcast that might have some new ideas for you or just trying to think, think of, of how you can approach it in a different way sometimes helps. And, and sometimes it's just taking a little step back and taking a breather and just saying, okay, you know what, just I don't want you to think about this for a couple of weeks and then come back. And sometimes just taking a little break from it is, is what people need too. And I think it's fine to do that. Do authors ever have to redefine their measure of success? Meaning I think that lots of authors think they're gonna go in and be the next New York Times bestseller. And when that doesn't happen, when it's significantly different than that anticipated outcome, is that part of the disappointment? And how do you help them reshift their focus and reframe success? We do have to do that sometimes. And we do have a lot of authors. They have great stories. And so we all have big expectations, but but it is really hard. It's getting harder and harder to hit those lists, especially the New York Times list when their metrics are changing and things change. And sometimes you'll see a report and see your book actually sold more, but for whatever reason, it didn't actually make that list. And so just being able to say to an author, okay, you didn't hit that goal, but look at these goals that we hit. You know, you did, you were able to be on these podcasts that you really wanted to get on and you had a great article in a magazine and and the word is out there and not to just let all those numbers be so discouraging because you are reaching people and helping people, even if you didn't sell 100,000 copies or even 20,000. I mean, average book sales are like around between 5,000 to 8,000 copies nowadays. So we try to encourage them that way as well. Yeah, and set those expectations up front, I would imagine. Yes, we do. We do work to, to do that. But some people have really big goals and that's great. But 
it's also important not to beat yourself up if you don't meet all those because chances are you still done a great job and you still have a great book those are powerful words to end on and this has been such an insightful and powerful interview andrea thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom it's been just fantastic wouldn't you agree dave in fact i was just thinking uh i had a call well i i called an author who published a book i think he he published it with a hybrid publisher. So he paid some money and there was some support in marketing and PR. So I, I left him a voicemail yesterday and then he left me a voicemail uh, later in the day. And, and I could tell just in the tone, he was a little bit discouraged. The book launched about a month or so ago and um, he didn't say he was discouraged, but I could just tell that his, his expectations were not met. Mm. and 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 the work he's done has been so tremendous the book is tremendous it's a, it, and i think i think your last and final words are really important is to you may or may not have reached your goals but you have accomplished a lot and once that book is out there in the world one person reading it you, you're changing that person's life in some way you're changing how he or she thinks maybe how he or she acts and that that to me is why you write ultimately. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I love what you're doing on this podcast. I think you have so much helpful information and it's definitely one that I'm going to start um, suggesting that my authors visit as well, because I think there's so many of them that could benefit from all the great wisdom that the two of you have and have been sharing. So thank you for having me. So before we close out the episode, let's do our words of the episode. And I'll go first, Dave, and I'll let you go second, as is normally the case. And Andrea, if you want to chime in with a word, that would be fabulous. So my word is hirsute, H-I-R-S-U-T-E. I love to use this word. It's just a fun word. I don't need, I use it around people that know it, but it means hairy. And so I, 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 my son has hirsute legs and my husband doesn't. They couldn't be any different. My husband has hardly any hair on his body and my son comes from the Davis line, my, my maiden name, and he's definitely a hirsute individual. So my, my word is hirsute, H-I-R-S-U-T-E. Melissa, I, this is why I love doing this podcast with you because every time you do a word, I'm like, I've never even heard of that one before. <laughs> and um, I'm sure your ACT score on the verbal or whatever that was is a lot higher than mine. Holy cow. All right. So, so mine is, mine is going to be so pedestrian compared no, to that. And I'm, not, no. I'm not using the word pedestrian here. It's aggregate. That's a great and, word. And the verb is aggregate. So uh, it's a little bit different when you actually say it. So aggregate is this idea of this whole that is formed by combining several elements. So typically they're disparate elements. So it's the aggregate. And the reason I use that word is because I was thinking about this the other day. I think it was on the GMAT. And uh, when I took my, uh, before I, attended DePaul University for my MBA. Remember that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remembered that word. And I now realize I, I got that one wrong on that, on the GMAT. So anyway, do I, I, I don't know why. Do you remember which definition you selected? I, I don't. I think I was, I probably put average or something, the average, the aggregate. And, and that's not correct, right? It, it's the whole, it's this whole thing 
you know, that is formed by these other elements, these disparate elements. And I don't know why I put average, but I, I still remember that. That goes to show my, uh, my anxiety, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's a great word. I, I think that I could see myself misusing that word. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought it to our attention. All right, Andrea, do you have a word for us? Well, it's a good thing I signed my kids up. So there, I have twins that are going to be seniors next year. And so I signed them up a couple of years ago. I made them put on their phone. Um, it's a word of the day app that's supposed to help you get ready. So I get it on mine too. So we can talk about it. We don't always, it's not like we sit around talking about these words, but the one that came up this week that I thought was just fun and I hadn't heard was contronym. Huh. And so it is um, the opposite when you have two similar words, but the opposite or two words that are the same. So like bark, it's the bark on a tree. And then you also have the bark of the dog. So they're complete opposites in what the word means. Right. Um, Interesting. So like, so how do you spell that yeah. word? It's C-O-N-T-R-O-N-Y-M. Contronym. So that the words are homonyms, but because they're opposite, it's a contronym. That is so interesting. It's new to me. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Amazing. And you can see why it's so difficult for second English as second language learners to learn. It's just so complex. <laughs> right. right. Words for everything. <laughs> Andrea, again, thanks for being here. But before we finally say goodbye, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Road Trippers? Road Trippers is our Facebook group. It's a closed group, but we'd love for you to join it. Just jump on Facebook, search for Road Trippers. There's a couple of them. You'll find ours. It's a closed group because every week we post our Zoom link to our weekly Q&A with Melissa and me. So we talk about everything from book writing to book promotion uh, to book publishing. We actually, this last time, Actually, the last few sessions, we've actually been evaluating some of the writing from our, the writers in our group. It's been a really amazing time. So anyway, if you'd love to join that, that's Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. That's the Q&A. So if you want to actually attend that, we'd love to have you. You don't have to put your video on. You can just uh, watch it surreptitiously. But we'd love to have you do so. Jump on Road Trippers on Facebook, and uh, we'll let you in. And you can and join our weekly Q&A. All right. Yes, we would love to have you. So go check out Road Trippers on Facebook. All right. That's a wrap, Dave. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.